This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. We each are our own hero. And how do we take the challenges that come our way and see those as the birth process of us becoming heroic? Can you meet that judgment that ultimately will surface with neutrality? This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wall Street Coach Podcast. Today, I have James Altucher on, and his biography is about the size of a New York City phone book because this man has done so much, but I'm going to give you the Wikipedia short paragraph because I'll have probably James tell you a little bit more about what he does. Before I tell you that formal description, let me say this, who James is to me personally. When I was living in Brooklyn, wanting to write my book, Transforming Wall Street, and I was having all the publishers say no to the idea, it was his daily email that I was reading at the, at the time, James, this is way before Choose Yourself came out, that was the o- you were the only person that kept advocating, I listened to my heart. You were the only person who was coming in through the ears and through the eyes that was telling me not to listen, which is what Skip the Line, your newest book is all about, what Choose Yourself is all about. You've always been a person who's advocating to me and everybody else that loves you. Be the the hero of your own adventure and don't listen to the masses. So that to me is a more important bio than what's on Wikipedia, but I will agree. I agree with that. Okay, good. (laughs) Thank you so much for that intro, Kim. It's, It's, it's great. And you know, all the time people were asking me like, why am I writing this? I wasn't getting any money to write this stuff. You know, this was like in 2012 or 2011 or what, yeah, 2010 yeah. even. Yep. And everyone's like, why are you sharing everything? Cause I was sharing not just like, Oh, here's how to publish a book or here's how to make these financial decisions. But I was straight, you know, sharing all my life strategies, including investing strategies. And people yeah. thought I was insane, but, and also I was admitting to all these times that I failed and that I failed miserably. And I, was ashamed of myself. And, uh, you know, I think people are afraid to kind of uh, admit the things that they do wrong. Everybody does things wrong sometimes. Everybody fails sometimes. And it's important that we get permission, that we give ourselves permission to fail, that it's okay, that we we treat ourselves gently. We treat ourselves the way we would treat someone we love, which often we don't treat ourselves that way. And and that's important. And at the same time, people don't realize what options they have in front of them. They think, they think, oh no, this publisher rejected me so I can never publish a book. This TV station rejected me so I can never do a show or this job rejected me. I guess I'm never going to be happy again. And people have these narratives in their head, but that's all they are. They're just stories that they tell themselves. They're not, it's not reality. Yep, absolutely true. And that was probably your speaking to some of your failures and your experience around the shame or despair you know, discouragement you felt internally. I I can remember I had been reading you already for a year, probably this was 2010 or so. And, you know, I was like, who is this guy? This guy is talking so authentically and nobody is. I was like, wow, I have to pay attention to this man because he's so honest and he's not driven just by his ego. He's driven by his heart. And I remember one particular email. That was the email that I 
wound up emailing you back for. I said, thank you so much for admitting this, for being honest about whatever the pain was that you saw or mistake you bumped into. I was like, you are going to change lives because of this sharing this story. And you wrote me back. I was sitting at a bar in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. I was eating dinner by myself at the bar and your email came in pretty shortly after I wrote you. And you were like, thank you so much. Like it was the most genuine response you gave me too. And I was like, this is guy is my new hero. That's oh, how good. it started. I'm, I'm glad I responded. Sometimes I don't respond. <laughs> I try to, you, but I, 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 I've been failing at responding lately. And that's not a good habit. It, it, it happens because we can't spend our lives just responding to email. And I, I wouldn't have had any judgment about you if you didn't write me back because you were doing this. I knew I was on a big list, probably of a lot of people. But the fact that you did and that you were so gracious, it, it just, you know, set a precedent for how I saw you. And then, of course, when I came to Hawaii the first time to house it to write that book of mine, I was literally landing at Kona on the big island of Hawaii with the, I've never been to Hawaii, the most exquisite view out my window in the daytime. And I couldn't put, choose yourself down to look at that view, James. Oh I couldn't because I was riveted. I was riveted. How many people's books can say that somebody will choose their book over a view of the islands of Hawaii? But yours not, not many, just you, I think. So <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you liked it. Like I I really I've written a lot of books and I'm happy to say, you know, I think most of the books I've written are probably not so good. In retrospect, at the time I thought they were great, but in retrospect, I look back at my books and like, oh, okay, this one could be better, or this one's not good at all. I shouldn't have written it. But choose yourself and my most recent book, skip the, the line. line. I really personally like them. Like it, they, I wrote advice for me. It's almost as yeah. if I knew I was going to be reading them a few years later and I would need this advice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I skip the line. If you, I want you to talk about that because that's your newest book. I love the title. I have practiced skipping the line many times in my life, not quite as successfully as you have, but tell us who this book is for. Yeah, so this book is for essentially everybody, regardless of age, who is, you know, they have something that they're passionate about or they would like to find something they're passionate about and they would like to monetize it. Like, wouldn't it be great to do for a living something you love doing? So a lot of people, they they get like, uh, you know, a law degree or uh, an accountant's CPA and they do that five days a week, 12 hours a day between commuting and being at the office and stuff, but they're not really that happy with it. And over time it becomes this kind of consistent simmering anxiety or, or need for something more. And, you know, on the weekends they have fun with their friends. Maybe they go out and play, you know, play with their kids or play golf or whatever it is they do. But wouldn't it be great at some point if you're an accountant and you love to cook and you cook for your friends, you love cooking for your friends, wouldn't it be great to one day, that's what you do. You make money cooking or you make money, you know, let's say you love uh, sports and you talk about sports with your friends all the time. Wouldn't it be great if you could somehow make a living talking about sports? And I'm picking these examples out of a hat, but these yeah. are actually examples I personally know of as well. And yeah. for me, you know, I've never, you need money because money pays for you, you know, you're, you have responsibilities, you pay for either kids or family or yourself or your medical care or your old age or whatever. So you need, you need money. Some people say, Oh, I don't care about money at all. 
everybody cares enough about money that they need to think about how to make it. And I, I think people have separated out what they love doing from their interests. But I think people realize now after this pandemic, 55 million people filed for unemployment insurance last year. Corporate, guess what? Corporations were not loyal. Your, your college degree didn't really mean anything. You still filed for unemployment insurance. And for me, whenever I've been in that situation and I'm like, can I, here's what I'm interested in. Can I do this? Can I monetize it? Somebody always told me, you can't do that. James, how could you think you could do that? You need X, Y, you need a degree. You need to work at these places first. You need to climb up through the ranks. You need to pay your dues. Uh, you won't be able to pay for your family. On and on. Everybody would always tell me, you can't skip the line. You know, you have to start this, then you have to start off with this, and you have to start with this. I've switched interests and careers like seven or eight times, and this has happened every time. And what it, what it tells me, I, sometimes I would believe these people. Maybe they have yeah. my best interest at heart, but right. they didn't really know they, they were incorrect. Or maybe they were unhappy because they couldn't do it. Or maybe they don't right. want you to change. So they, you know, or maybe they're or just they, jealous. Or, or as you say in the book, it's possible they have an imprint that they are. So this is one of the most powerful lines I thought in the book was you said of all the possibilities in the world, when someone says uh, that you can't, that person is open to so everything except specifically they are so committed to the can't that they will tell you you can't because they couldn't. That yeah. is powerful, James. Thank you. Yeah, that, and it's true. That's, there's always, this is what I always tell people. And I, I tell this to my kids, actually. There's, when someone tells you something, there's always a real reason. And then there's, the, no, sorry. There's always a good reason. And then there's mm -hmm. the real reason. So, so as an example, uh, if, if my, when my daughter was in high school, if she told me, oh, dad, I'm going to go to the library. Uh, everybody's studying at the library and they're going to do my homework there. That's a great reason. But the real reason might be, <laughs> <laughs> there's boys at the library and I'm going to the library and hanging out with them. So she gave two reasons that are real, that are true maybe, but she mm -hmm. only gives really the good reason. So someone says, you can't do this. And they'll say, because you didn't get the right education or you didn't start at the bottom or, you know, people don't just, you know, people from this department don't do things in that department. So they'll give a good reason. It's always a good reason, but you always have to ask yourself, what's the real reason? Why? Oh, this person maybe who has been at this job for 17 years, she couldn't do it or he couldn't do it, but they don't, they're a little threatened by you doing it. Correct. That's exactly true. And so for the most part, just so you have a sense, our listeners are diverse, but we have a lot of day traders because of me co-hosting the Stocks to Trade, Steady Trade podcast and the traders that are listening, how, or, or, or the beginning we have sophisticated day traders and then we have beginners. To the beginner day traders, James, especially because you've been a day trader, you know what that world is like. And Tim Sykes, for the listeners who are fans of Tim Sykes, who of course is part of the Steady Trade and Stocks Trade platform, Tim Sykes is the one who enrolled James in starting his own blog. And if I'm yeah. remembering correctly, he, set, he started to write your bio for you to get you jump started. Is that right? Yeah, he set up the site actually to get me started. And he, uh, I didn't want to write my own blog because I figured, oh, I write for other places. Like I write for the Wall Street Journal. I write for TechCrunch. I write for the Financial Times. I could always put stuff on LinkedIn or whatever. And then Tim convinced me, no, no, get jamesalvature.com, which was a story unto itself, but get, James, get the domain name, 
and I'll just set up your, your blog and, and we'll go from there. And so, yeah, he hosted my first blog. I forgot about that, actually. <laughs> it's, it's pretty awesome. I just want to give a shout out to him because, you know, he, he just listening to his courses, you know, I'm a baby day trader. I took one trade so far. You know, I'm trying to learn in my spare time of coaching traders, but I want the traders who are listening here, a lot of them are going to be fans of Tim Sykes. I wanted them to know that about you. Um, I, and I, also- I love Tim. Tim and I have been friends, gosh, since... 2005, 2006. He was like a little baby when I met him. Wow. How did you guys meet? We met on CNBC. There was a show that was being kind of tried out where traders like Tim and me would pick tons of stocks, like and analyze tons of stocks. Like it was, it was sort of like a precursor maybe to fast money. And uh, Tim and I were on that show. It, It was like every Friday for a bunch of weeks. And then they decided not to run with it, but we were hanging out then. And then we started hanging out outside of CNBC and in real life. That's amazing. That's pretty cool. So for the day traders, this concept of skip the line for a beginner day trader, what would you say is its application? Why should they read this book? What is it that you're trying to enroll them in? Well, first off, like I remember when I started day trading. So I was a day trader for many years and I started it and I just, I just loved it. And, um, it seemed to me to combine everything I was interested in, like finance, games, math. Why games? Because the stock market ultimately is like one big game. Yeah. And you could win the game. Most people lose the game. and But there are ways to, to win the game. And, you know, anything... And, and by the way, this was a time everyone told me, you can't do this. Like, I remember I asked my neighbor at the time, hey, can I trade for your the bank you work for? He worked for like a big major bank. And he like looked at me with this look of pity and he was like, uh, you know, usually maybe you go to business school and get an MBA, then you work at some big banks for a while, then maybe you work for a hedge fund, like a small one, then a big one, then you could see about trading, you know, full time for a bank. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do, I don't, I'm not going to go back to school and get an MBA. I've already started and sold a business. Like now I want to do this. And, but one thing he was right about is that, I couldn't do it right then because I honestly didn't have, you know, it, 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 there's three things. There's being passionate about something and that's a task unto itself is finding out what you're passionate about. But then there's building the skill so that you're good. Not, and everybody talks about the 10,000 hour rule. Oh, it needs 10,000 hours to get good at something. That's actually not true. The 10,000 hour rule, whether it's a good rule or not, is 10,000 hours of what's called deliberate practice to to be the best in the world, to be number one in the world. Well, I didn't need to be the number one day trader in the world. If you're in the top 1%, even the top 5% of day traders or of anything, you're going to be good enough to make money. Like in, in tennis, I don't need to be the number one player in the world to make money. I, first off, I could be in the top 1%, which is probably a thousand, thousands of people. I mean, you know, hundreds of millions of people play tennis. If you play, if you're in the top 1%, you can make a living. You could either be a professional player or you could be a coach or you could be yep. a commentator about tennis. You know, you don't want to limit yourself to one thing. It's not like I need to win Wimbledon or I'm going to die. You could, you could, there's many things to do in every area that you could potentially be interested in. And so this was an important thing. Like I could, for investing, for instance, I could day trade or I could uh, work for a hedge fund or I could run a hedge fund or I could write books about investing. I could write articles about investing. I could 
comment about investing. I could teach about investing. It's like you're doing, Kim, you're coaching about investing. There's a lot of psychology to investing. So you have to learn the skill and, but not to be the best in the world, but to be in the top 1%. And in the book, I give a, a lot of tips on how when I've switched interests and had no skill at what I was interested in, how I would learn quickly enough to be in the top 1%. You kind of have to break down uh, the different techniques. So pe- people, otherwise people just randomly try to learn or they don't know what it takes to learn something to be you know, a professional, to be a master of it. You have to, you have to master the topic. And again, not being in the top in the world, but maybe in the top 20,000, depending on how big the field is. And yep. then you have to learn how to monetize it because you can't, you can't spend that much time at things you can't monetize. And so uh, the other half of the book is about that, where you know, I have a bunch of techniques, like one technique I call the spoke and wheel technique. So if the wheel is investing, the spokes might be day trading, working for a hedge fund, coaching traders, uh, teaching traders, uh, speaking about investing in the economy, um, writing books about it, and, and so on. There's lots of different spokes to the investing world, being a stockbroker, uh, starting an investment news company, um, looking for other areas to invest in, like not just stocks, but maybe you know a lot of people invest in collectibles like baseball cards. There's a whole market for baseball cards. So think, you know, really what I enjoyed most about investing was not making the money, although that was nice too when it happened. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when it happened, sometimes it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But I really loved becoming the through learning about investing and learning about monetizing it. I, I liked how I became the type of person who can make money investing. And that's, so sometimes people say it's the journey, not the outcome, but I'm saying very specifically, you change as a person when you master something, whether it's investing or golf or cooking or being a lawyer, you change as a person. And that really is a a pleasurable thing. When you could finally like make money doing what you love, that's an amazing feeling. And I would imagine it also uh, would inform and undergird other future uh, directions you go because you have now this like renaissance man's view of the world because you've been in multiple pieces of the pie. Right. Like I've changed entire careers uh, many times. I mean, I started out, I majored in computer science in college and I started out as a computer programmer for many years. Like that's what I did. And, uh, And then, you know, I just changed many times after that over and over and over. And then even more recently, I, you know, somewhat changed some interests of mine. And I decided I'm going to very specifically use only the techniques in my book to get better at this new field for me. And and then see, you know, I don't necessarily have to monetize it, but it's always fun to figure out what are the ways to, to monetize it. Yep. I think, I know, first of all, yes, I'm a huge fan of your books and your advocacy of not just following the herd. But the other reason I really wanted you on is because what I notice among new day traders who who I'm working with more than I've ever worked with in the 14 years I've coached is that a lot of these new day traders, they really have a mindset coming in that they want to be all in. You know, I, I hear them quit jobs or want to quit jobs and just want to make it here. And the reason I wanted you here is I wanted your wisdom because 
because you are the master of multiple prongs, multiple spokes on the wheel. And I just don't know that some of these, you know, they're very enthusiastic, perhaps a little naive, but they think this is going, and I'm like, you're, you're better off having this as a side hustle so until you get really good at it, because this is the first year they're trading and they're ready to quit their day job or stop other monetization. Sure. But, but you're the advocate of multiple monetization pipelines. And that's another big part of why I wanted you here. So talk yeah. a little bit about that. I mean, according to the IRS, the average, and this, this is real data from the IRS, the average multimillionaire has seven sources of income. So a job is only one source of income. Yeah. Even being an entrepreneur, there's only one source of income. It's, your, it's the company you started usually. And so you always have to think in terms of, and it's almost a cliche to say, but multiple sources of income, but that's the IRS telling us, not, you know, that's some right. book or whatever. And, uh, but with, with day trading, you have to be very careful because you worked really hard for your money. And if you put it on the line every day in the stock market, lots of things can happen. Good things can happen. Bad things can happen. We all know the rewards are there for anything that's worthwhile and investing could be something that's worthwhile. Obviously some people make wealth or income in the stock market. Some people make wealth playing golf. Some people make wealth, you know, in other ways, everything we do is an investment of some sort. And the things that are worthwhile are very hard to be the best in the world at. They're very competitive, but here's an interesting thing. They're not, they're not necessarily, a source of happiness. So let's say, and I, I, I don't play tennis, but I use tennis as an example. Let's say you're, you want to be a professional tennis player and that's what you love. You love playing tennis. You love working out every day on the tennis court. You love being coached and trained. Most of the time you're going to be pretty unhappy because you're going to lose games. As you get better and better, you're going to be playing opponents who are better and better. And you're going to lose at least half your games as you're rising up through the ranks and you're going to have to learn and learn and be persistent and then be disappointed and knock down a little bit and maybe change coaches and learn more and, and on and on. It's a, it's a process. It mastery brings maybe something called well-being, which is contentment with where you are, but it's not very happiness producing just like day trading. Some days you're going to make money. You feel happy. Some days you lose money and it's the worst feeling and you have to have it in. You have to be passionate enough that you could wake up the next day and say, look, I'm going to go at it again and I'm going to learn what I did wrong and I'm going to keep learning. And, you know, so I just want to make that clear that the path to mastery is not a happy path. And, you know, if, if I was going to start day trading now, I would, I wish I had done what it suggests basically in my book for any type of learning, but I'll give like, I give a whole bunch of techniques. So I'll give two, Two of them that are, are very important. One is um, find yourself a plus minus equal. So what I mean by that is a plus is someone who's much better than you, who can teach you what they know. So that's like a mentor. And then the equals are people who are at your level, um, who are, you know, you exchange notes, you're, you're excited to, to learn from each other, but you're about the same level and you, and you, yeah. you experience things as they happen. And then the minus is you teach someone else because only by teaching the fundamentals. I mean, even Einstein said, you don't truly understand something unless you can explain it simply. So he explains relativity by saying, what's it like for someone who's running the speed of light? What will he see if he looks at a beam of light? And he has very simple ways of describing things. And uh, so 
with day trading, I wish I had found a mentor to teach me and I wish I had corresponded with other equals. I kind of just did it by myself and learned on my own. And I wish I had people to teach. Now, eventually I found all those things and I got a lot better very quickly. Um, That's why I started writing about investing too. That was a way of explaining what what I understood. And I ended up understanding it much better because you have to research a lot more to understand things in a simple way. Exactly. it's what I do with everything. And then the other technique I would suggest is, well, I'll, I talk about the 10,000 experiment rule in the book, mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll talk about something called micro skills. So with investing as an example, invest, there is no such skill as investing. It's, a, it's really a basket of micro skills. So you have to be good at, you, you have to understand what value investing is. You have to understand what options are. You have to understand uh, what, you know, arbitrage is. You have to understand the difference between day trading and, you know, growth investing or, and then you have to know that another very important skill is you have to have the psychology of investing. You have to know money management skills, which people completely ignore. I, every <laughs> investor I've ever met completely ignores money management. And, and again, I'll, I'll remind people yeah. risk. The game, the game could be won. We all know that people got wealthy from investing. So that's, that's over. You don't have to think about the rewards and you have to think almost a hundred percent of the time or 99 percent of the time about the risks and no one ever thinks about the risks. Oh, this GameStop could go to a thousand. It said it on this message board. Elon Musk said GameStop could go to a thousand. No. What if it goes from 500 to 10? That's what you have to ask yourself. Oh, it's not going to do that. It's not going to do that. No, we just don't know. Nobody knows the future. So you have to be very, uh, when you get married, for instance, that's a high stakes thing you've done. You've gotten married and we all know the benefits are there from marriage. You could have, a, a, if you're with the right partner, you could have a, a, a good life potentially. But of course, the, the divorce rate is something like 50 or 60%. People take too much risk in picking a spouse. And, uh, you know, sometimes you, you, everything in life, you have to evaluate the risks more than the rewards. The rewards yes. are not that important because we all know that they're there. But the, yes. key to, the key to winning the game is staying in the game. Yes. And so along in in alignment with that, the other advocacy you speak to and skip uh, the line is getting comfortable with uncertainty. Such, such an important key point. Talk a little bit more about how you yourself got more comfortable with uncertainty. I mean, the way you get uncomfortable with uncertainty, I mean, there's a lot, the, the answer is there's a lot of things, but you have to kind of, you have to kind of lean into it. Like, again, I mentioned how with anything worth learning, there's going to be many upsetting things that happen. So with day trading, you're going to lose money, you know, some of the time. With playing tennis, you're going to lose some of the time. If you're cooking for your friends, sometimes you're going to cook a bad meal. Or, you know, if you start a restaurant, sometimes some days nobody will show up for your restaurant and you'll get scared. You have to kind of, you kind of have to lean into it and realize that everything that's uncertain, everything that goes wrong uh, is an opportunity to learn. If I lose a game of chess, I, I can't be, I mean, I'll be disappointed for a little while that I lost, but ultimately every loss is a clue to what you could get better at on your path to mastery. And again, there's the goal like, oh, I want to be, I want to make a lot of money day trading, or I want to be the best tennis player. I want to be the best cook or whatever. But it's not about the goal. We all know the goal is there. But in the process of 
learning something. And by the way, if, if you use, uh, I hope if one uses skip the line, you'll learn incredibly quickly how to be in the top 1% of your field. Cause I, I know for a fact these things work. And, uh, but, but really what you're looking for is not the goal. Cause again, we know the goals are there, but I want to become the sort of person that is able to be a great Tate trader, or I want to become the sort of person who is able to be a great chess player. Like maybe in the beginning, I think it's just, Oh, I'm going to checkmate the King every time. And that's easy, yeah. but uh, I'm going to be the world champion. Cause I could do that. But the reality is it's very hard to study something and understand the nuances and the subtleties of it. You could do it very quickly. I have all these techniques in the book that describe how I've done it and other people who have been on my podcast and so on, but there's nuances and subtleties to any form of mastery and, and you become a new person when you, when you master something. You do. You do. Uh, Lucas, did you go to ask a question before? I think I cut you off. Probably, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I go on and on. No, no, no that, we want you to go on. It's fascinating. Exactly. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by, I'm just interested in how much you, it seems like you love to learn and like have, with all these transitions and careers uh, throughout your life, um, it, what what I, 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 that's a question, I guess. Do you love to learn? And if so, I'm assuming you do. Uh, what is it that makes you so curious about all, like so much of different aspects of life and different professions? Well, I, I love to learn, but most of the time I don't love to learn, meaning <laughs> I only really like learning things I'm interested in. Like if someone said, okay, we're going to teach you about gardening today. I wouldn't wake up all excited like, oh, today's the day I learned gardening, but I love learning so much. I'm going to learn about gardening and I can learn anything. I would be, I, some people love gardening and I, for the life of me, I cannot learn the difference between one flower or plant and another. And I know nothing. I, I oh, we're going to learn Spanish today. You should learn Spanish. It's spoken all over the world. I, I, I'm not interested. So it's not that I can't learn a language. Some people say, oh, I can't learn languages. It's that you're just not interested. If you're not interested, it's here. Here's an important thing about passion. People say have different opinions on whether you should do for work what you're passionate about. But this is a very important thing to know is that when you wake up in the morning, you have an allotted amount of energy, of life energy, and then it runs out. And that's why you go to sleep and you rejuvenate if you sleep well and you wake up with energy again the next day. But if you do something you're not passionate about, then when you sit down to learn that thing, part of the energy you need to master something, you'll have to spend just getting yourself excited about doing it. Like, oh, I don't really want to go outside and learn about gardening today, but I guess I should do it. And everybody says I should do it and blah, blah, blah. So that energy that you're using to convince yourself to, to learn something, you sh sh the people who are passionate about it, they're already out at the garden and they're learning faster than you because they're using that energy to learn instead of convince themselves to learn. So you, that's you, why people only learn what they're really learn things that they're passionate about. Do you use that as a ruler for yourself that you ask yourself before you're about to dive in or, or you're organically passionate about something and that takes you further down the rabbit hole? Yeah. If you're organically passionate about something. Now you don't know in advance what you're passionate about. You can't think your way to a passion. Mm -hmm. Like I might say to myself, man, it would be so great to be an astronaut. I would love to be an astronaut and fly in space. Well, what if I get in space and I realize, wait a second, I'm like in a small room with six other people and, excuse my language, my shit is floating around because that's 
That's what happens in space. Like that doesn't really sound like I want to do that. So I don't really want to be an astronaut. You can't really know if you're passionate about something until you do it. Like when I first traded, I'm like, oh my gosh, this was great. And I got into it. Or when I first, you know, played a couple of games of chess, I was like, oh, I really enjoy this and I'm going to get better. And I, or when I first did stand-up comedy, for instance, I was like, oh, this was great. People, I created visceral laughing from a group of strangers uh, doing this. I'm going to do this again. And so you have to do things and you have to try. That's why I have the 10,000 experiment rule in that book, which you have to do lots of experiments to see what it is you're passionate about. Yep. Uh, so with regards to the title, first thing I thought of when I saw the title was, and I'm, I'm going to just tell you this little story. Uh, I was at a fundraiser uh, for a politician that I was curious about, but not really not into at the time. But I was like, huh, I think this guy's got something. I won't even say who, because it's not the main part of the story. But the point is, I remember thinking he looked exhausted and he wasn't going to hold a New York City group of 24-year-olds because he was so tired. Mm. And I skipped the line for cabs outside this hotel, James, because I'm a New Yorker. We don't wait on a line for a cab. All the tourists were there. So I could see that these tourists weren't paying attention and just kind of, you know, found myself one or two people behind the next cab. It was raining, right? And something intuitively said, share the cab with the guy in front of you. And in New York, a girl doesn't do that unless the guy's really gorgeous or, you know, there's that's no why, That's why no one's ever made that offer to me, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway... I get it. The guy says, sure. I don't know where I'm going. Anyway, I'm like, terrific. Now I can show him where he needs to go. And we get in the cab and we start driving. I find out he's like the right hand man to this politician that I'm now like, you know, wanting to support. And I said, I said, wait a minute. I said, he said, where, why? I said, why are you in New York? He said, my so-and-so is here and I'm helping him run. And he said, uh, you know, I said, oh, well, uh, I'm glad you're in charge of him. Somebody's got to do something with that man's schedule because he's too damn tired to, you know, be on the stage in front of New Yorkers, 24-year-olds. And he was like, who are you? I was like, I'm a woman who wants to see this guy win, not to. Like I was unabashed, right? And then and he goes, huh, we could use a little bit of that on this team. And he, And then he says the killer line. He goes... And that cutting the line thing, we could probably use a little bit of that too. And I just turned that's, bright red. That's interesting. So he noticed that I had skipped the line. And yeah. I said, well, well, you know, I'm a New Yorker. We don't wait a lot. And, and he, but he was giving me a compliment. Like, this is a girl who's going to hustle. So on one hand, I love that story about myself because it shows that like, you know, I'm not going to follow sometimes the rules. But, but then I also think, James, especially now, people hear this title, maybe even hear my story. And they're saying, but I'm waiting online. That's kind of like inappropriate that she skipped the line that night. What would you say to people who come back with that? Well, everybody's on their own journey. And, you know, again, every time you're interested in something and you want to do it, 100% of the time, there are going to be people who tell you, you can't do that. It might be family members, might be other employees where you work. It might be your, your boss or your professors or your parents or your spouse or your kids even or your friends. It could be anybody. But people will always tell you you can't do this or you shouldn't do this or you can't skip the line. And you just have to kind of nod at them. They're not going to be the ones who are on this journey with you. So you don't need to worry about what they think. You just kind of nod at them and say, okay, I hear what you're saying. 
And but how, James, to you know, you you have over time and your sharing of your journey and your stories, you have helped us see how you did it. But to the people who have not had that journey yet, who are like, but I, maybe they're right, maybe I'm wrong. Like, how do those people find the confidence to lean into what you're suggesting? You know, it, it it's interesting. Like, I'll I'll use. I don't know why I keep using tennis as an example. I honestly don't play tennis and I have no interest in tennis. But like a tennis player doesn't say to himself, I'm going to win this next game. Or in the middle of the game, a tennis player, a professional, good professional tennis player doesn't say, this is great. I'm going to, I'm going to definitely win this match. What does the tennis player focus on in the middle of a match? And it is, am I going to make the next shot as good as possible? Like, am I going to do my best on the very next shot? A day trader doesn't say, I'm going to make a million dollars this year. A day trader says in the middle of the day, am I making the right decisions today to, to be yeah. successful at day trading? Yeah. So if you're passionately interested in something, you know, you know, and I don't know how to convince someone that it's possible to skip the line. I suppose if you look at the thousands of examples of people who did it, that's a good source. Yeah. But someone who's passionate about something should just say, what should I do today to make myself 1% better at this thing I'm passionate about. Oh, what does 1% mean? What does it mean to be a 1% better uh, cook? I don't know, maybe it means nothing, but you get a sense of what, yep. it's just a small amount, you get a little better and it compounds. So if yeah. it compounds, within a year, you're gonna be amazing. You're going to be in the top 1% in the world if you just improve 1% a day at cooking or day trading or investing. And that's just mathematics, like 1% yeah. a day compounded doubles every 72 days. Uh, and people should look up compounding if they don't understand why. If you if you get if you improve one something that compounds one percent a day for a year improves actually thirty six hundred percent if it compounds every day. Meaning you get thirty six times better than you are, which is good enough to be a master of something, to be That's in the top right. not the top in the world, but in the top one percent. Right. That's right. And so, how do I convince people? Well, okay, let's look at Richard Branson. Richard Branson was 27 years old and he was a music, he had like a music store and he decided to himself, you know what? I think in addition to having a music store, I'm going to also have an airline. And everybody said, well, Richard, are you crazy? You're like, uh, you're, you know, it's the seventies. You're into the whole music scene. You're 27 years old. You're too young. You run a music store. You have no experience. And he's like, well, that's okay. So he calls up Boeing the next day. Boeing that makes planes. And he says, can I borrow a jet, preferably a 747 if you have one? And so, and they're like, are, who are you? And they're like, well, I run a music store in England and I'm 27 years old. And, and they're like, are you insane? Like, why would we lend you a 747 jet? Those cost like hundreds of millions of dollars. And Richard Branson then, and, and I have a chapter on this in the book, Richard Branson had to have good persuasion skills. You need persuasion skills if you're going to skip the line. So Richard Branson said, listen, and he got serious. You have no, you know, British Airways is a monopoly in England and it's a government run monopoly. So you have no pricing pressure at all. You have no pricing leverage at all in, in England. If, the, if British Airways had a competitor, you might actually start selling some planes in England. You get a little bit of leverage. Uh, so... What does it harm you? I'll return the jet in a year. Uh, if the plane, if it doesn't work, you get your plane back. And if it does work, you have a whole new place to sell. I'll buy every plane from you guys. And then he convinced 
England to give him a landing strip at Gatwick Airport, not Heathrow. He convinced JFK to give him a landing strip. And now he had a plane and two landing strips on opposite sides of the ocean. And now he had Virgin Virgin Atlantic, so his airline. And probably everybody, probably everybody and his mother told him, you can't do that. And he did it. And by the way, that's one. I gave a simple example. There's yeah. so many examples. This is more the norm among successful people than something that's outrageous. Yeah, that's right. it, You know, it just becomes the norm among people who do the same thing for 30 years where they're unhappy with it. They don't want to hear that other people got happy. Or, quicker, or least, quicker than they did. Yeah. Or, or like, or even tried. Like some people, yeah. they want to get, well, I got to get my retirement savings first and then I'll do this. Well, yeah. life's short. You don't know where you're going to be in five years, 10 years. Correct. doesn't matter how old you are. Yep. Uh, you want to do things that you love. Like when I focused on investing and, and at some point I lost interest in investing, uh, I would have been miserable. I was miserable for many years thinking that the only way I could make wealth was through investing. Turns out there were other ways to make it. And I just, I wish I had not, but I wish I had not been miserable for as long as I was. Yes. Yes. You talk in the book a couple of uh, places about just the chemical effect of serotonin, uh, mm -hmm. oxytocin. Talk a little bit about that because these, I don't think people give them enough credit or realize that they are in charge of them in ways they're not aware of. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question because sometimes people are depressed and, um, you know, it might be situational, like maybe someone close to them died. So, okay, I'm feeling a little down about it. But sometimes people get depressed because of biological reasons. There are chemicals in our brain that help determine how we feel. And so, for instance, um, there's, there's dopamine, which uh, dopamine gets us excited to do something new and to get better at something and to achieve something. So when you achieve, when you achieve something like 70,000 years ago, if someone found, if someone found a, a wild boar and killed it, so now the tribe was going to have pork to eat that a ton of dopamine will get released because he feels like he accomplished something and he's going to rise up in the tribe as a result. Uh, so when you day trade, you get a dopamine hit when the trade works out like, oh, my my hierarchy, my standing in the community has gone up because I have more money and I'm a good day trader. And so yeah. dopamine gets you excited. Then there's um, serotonin, which so dopamine is more this neurochemical that you want humming through you in the morning and serotonin and a lot of antidepressants, for instance, are uh, have the word serotonin in them. They're S these SSRIs. I don't know what it stands for. It's mm -hmm. serotonin reuptake. And I don't know. But yeah. uh, so a lot of depression is related to a lack of serotonin because what serotonin does is it makes you sat feel satisfied with where you are in the tribe. Like, oh, okay, I'm not the alpha, but I'm number four. I like that. I like where I am. I like this. I'm having a, a good time. Uh, no complaints. And so we feel that in the evening, serotonin helps us get sleepy and go to sleep and sleep well. And then, you know, there's, there's other neurochemicals as well, but they're all kind of connected to each other. And those are like the two main ones for kind of happiness during the day. And so when you're learning something and you're achieving at it, you get a lot of dopamine. Now you also get a lot of dopamine from smoking crack, but <laughs> the dopamine doesn't care. It doesn't say, no, you better do something that's relevant for society. Dopamine doesn't know what society is. Your brain doesn't know. But, you know, if you get your dopamine from something useful, you can harness that 
to, to know when during the day you have time for different things and different types of learning and, and so on. And you know how to, you learn how to hone the, these neurochemicals. And I, I described that a little in the book. And that was in part described to me, there's a great uh, guy at, at, who works at Stanford studying neuroscience, uh, Andrew Huberman. He's been on my podcast. He's been on Joe Rogan's podcast. Very smart guy in terms of how these neurochemicals work. Mm, beautiful. One of the things that I also notice among uh, not just new traders, but even very sophisticated traders is the tricky balance. You know, I'm a big advocate of dopamine detox that you got to walk away from your computer sometimes. And I know you're an advocate of that too. Uh, and I think some for some, it's a tricky razor's edge between this incredible work ethic that many of them have that I know has contributed to where they are. But then how do they balance that with having a life for themselves, sleeping when their body needs to, not pushing themselves to burnout? You know, there's a little bit, I'm not a big fan of the hustle, hustle grind, uh, you know, metaphors out there because I think it pushes people to potential burnout. I had Celeste Headley, who was amazing, uh, a couple of months ago, who wrote a book called Do Nothing, talking about how we've been culturally brainwashed. It reminds me a little bit about what I learned from you and Seth Godin about this cultural indoctrination of work ethic, collapse of character, and then it you know, forces us all to work for the machine. You know, So it's like, how do you yourself balance this incredible work ethic, this incredible entrepreneurial mindset, but also a person who enjoys the things like the joys of life, family, reading, sure. sitting at, you know, outside. I mean, to be honest, I have a hard time with that. Like when I'm really passionate about something, I just want to do it 24 hours a day. Like that's mm -hmm. it. This is what I want to do. But to get, you know, to monetize a, an activity, you have to be somewhat good at it. You have to be in the top 1%. Again, I keep repeating, that doesn't mean the top one means the top right. 1%, which is very different. Yeah. And in order to do that, you need to put together a little training program for yourself. Like, okay, here's the micro skills. Here's what I'm going to get to do to get good at each micro skill. Here's the experiments I'm going to do in that 10,000 experiment rule. Here's the plus minus equals I put together. And, but they also have to continue doing just a foundational daily mm -hmm. practice. And everyone has their own version of this, but what are you doing for yourself for physical health? Because if you're, if you're sick in bed, you're, you're not gonna have the creativity or the energy to succeed at anything. The, the person who's not sick will succeed over the person who is sick, too sick to get yeah. good at something. Yeah. What are you doing for your emotional health? You know, People say you're the average of the five people you spend time with. Well, who are those five people? Are they all smoking crack or are they all trying to be, you know, achieve mastery yeah. in something? So, yeah. and or if you're arguing with your spouse all day, you're not going to have the energy or the time to get good at something. How are you exercising your creative health? Are you writing down ideas every day? You can't expect inspiration to just hit you like lightning. You have to exercise it. It's like a muscle in the brain. If, it, if you don't exercise it, it atrophies. And this, I, re I know really well, like writing down 10 ideas a day, has saved my life so many times. Do you still have the waiter pad that yeah. you advocate we all have? <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, let's see. It's in his pocket. <laughs> it's probably it's probably very close at hand. Is that you, you use that still yeah. for your ten ideas a day, right? Um, yeah, like I have 
uh, this wasn't an idea, but I have, I had this great idea the other day and then I flushed the next day. Then I did 10 ideas about how, how I would execute the idea. Wow. So, and I, I had an idea for a business and then I thought, okay, here's what the f first page looks like on the website. Here's what happens if you, uh, you know, engage with somebody. So yeah, I have all these ideas. It's and then yesterday brilliant. I had some ideas about, oh yeah, I had ideas. I had this idea. You know how this NFT thing is really popular? Yeah, yeah. So I don't even fully understand it necessarily. And I don't, I think it's a little weird that the financial community is pushing some Agreed. kind of art thing, but Agreed. as opposed to artists. Yeah, there's and, something wrong there. <laughs> but but I thought about, there. there's this thing called GPT-2 or GPT-3, which is like an AI program where you train it, feeding it text, and then it basically learns from that text. And then if you ask it a question, it'll respond as if it is like I put in skip the line, my book, the whole book, I cut and pasted it into this thing, this AI wow. algorithm. And then, it, and then I'll ask it about anything and it'll yeah. respond and it'll almost sound like I'm writing it. Like it's, it's wow. very interesting. That's and so, so cool. I, I was thinking it might be, and by the way, when you exercise your idea muscle, it's perfectly fine to have most of your ideas be bad because that's yeah. the reality of ideas. Yeah. So this might be a really bad idea, but it was just fun thinking about it. Like yeah. what if, um, you can make and sell uh, historical yeah, figures. So exactly. let's say I put in all of Abraham Lincoln's letters wow. and speeches and then a biography of him or maybe some autobiographical stuff because it needs to be in his voice. Uh, yeah. And now I can sell my proprietary Abraham Lincoln yeah. to anybody who wants an it's, Abraham Lincoln. No, let's it's make this genius. site, James. Let's make this I site where you can just go on and ask like Shakespeare, like Shakespeare, well, what, what's going to happen? You today? know, like all these tech billionaires are really into the philosophy of stoicism. So yes. what if I make yes, Marcus Seneca. Aurelius and you could buy Marcus Aurelius for $10,000 and he'll every day, he'll give you, oh, you're having a problem with your, your girlfriend or boyfriend. He'll tell you what to do. And That's right. That so, is brilliant. I kind of, I'm afraid now that you've talked about it on our podcast because I, I don't want anybody to steal it from you. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't. That's the whole thing too. I always share ideas because wow. A, if someone steals it and does it better than me, then power to them. They should have it. Yeah. Second, mm -hmm. by sharing, it's a way of telling myself and even mm -hmm. society that I am abundant in ideas. So mm -hmm. I'm not worried about someone stealing it because I have, maybe they don't have any more ideas, so they should take right. mine. But yeah. I'm going to have thousands of more ideas. So, so James, out. that abundance mindset, where did, where did you get that personally? Like, where did you, did you grow up with that? Did you hone it for yourself? Do you think you just picked it up with all the exposure to the books and interests you've acquired? Like, where does that thought come from to come from abundance? Well, I think, I think we're all born with that and we kind of lose it through school. Like, when are we told we can't do something by our parents and our teachers initially? And we're told yep. it a lot. And so sometimes it's correct advice, but most of the time it's not. And so it's sort of like we have to unlearn things. But I think when I started writing 10 ideas a day down, and this was in 2002, I really learned, oh, it doesn't matter if I'm in trouble. I'll always come up with ideas. It doesn't matter if someone steals an idea. And believe me, people have stolen my ideas. It doesn't matter because I'm going to be abundant ideas. I'm going to keep coming up with ideas and better to know now, this is the type of person who will steal from me than to know it later. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, so I think I learned it through the process of coming up with ideas and then, and then implementing some of them. Yeah, for sure. And you always, All right. if, if you always have a philosophy of giving the ideas away, 
they'll come back to you. So I have something I call, uh, I mentioned, mentioned this in the book, I have something I call the Google technique. So let's say I type in the word mo- motorcycles into Google. This is what Google says back to you. Listen, James, we don't know anything about motorcycles, but we've done the work for you. Here are the 10 websites we think are the best websites in the world to teach you about motorcycles. And by the way, these first three ones, we just want to be honest, they paid us to be there. And that's what Google does. And then Google measures the success of a a search by how quickly you leave their website, how quickly you leave. And, but then where do you go back when you want to later find out about houses? Well, you go back to Google because you know that they were trustworthy and they, they didn't try to, they didn't have their hand out. Hey, we told you these websites, give us a dime. Now they didn't hold out for money and they, and they didn't even need you to come back. They didn't ask you to come back. No, but you go back to the source. So you always want to be the source of ideas. And, you know, my, my theory is, is that if you act even on a personal level, like a trillion dollar company, you might not be worth a trillion, but you'll be worth something, you know, because of the, because of the way you uh, kind of personalize this trillion dollar, this service that has a trillion dollar value. Absolutely. So, so if I'm going to ask you to boil your wisdom, all your much, many books, many experiences down to the top three most important pieces of advice, not just to day traders, but just the human beings watching us. What are those top three or top four things you would give them? Well, the most important thing is take care of yourself physically, emotionally, creatively, and even spiritually. Like try to improve 1% a day. However you do physical health, whether it's through working out or sleeping well or eating, just try to improve 1% a day. Emotional health, just try to improve your relationships 1% a day. So, and so on. Creativity. Spiritual health, spiritual health. Please elaborate because I'd love to know what your way of staying healthy there is. Yeah. So it might not mean, for everybody, it's different. It might Mm -hmm. mean your religion. It might mean your philosophy. But in general, it means try not to spend too much time worrying about things you have no control over. Cause really that's what, you know, spiritual health is like, I'll use a, an, I'm Jewish. I'll use an example from Christianity. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. So that what he means is the past events are gone and the future is not here yet. So just, you know, just focus on what you could do today to improve yourself 1% because you have no control over any other day. I can't say, well, I'm not gonna do it today, but I'll schedule it for a week from now. You don't know if you're going to be alive a week from now. So do everything you can today, small things. Yeah. But yeah. so that's, that's the first piece of advice. The second is, you know, don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. And someone says, well, I can't be a professional basketball player. I'm not seven feet tall. Well, that's okay. Maybe you could be the first person to set up a fantasy sports league for basketball, fantasy basketball league. Or maybe you could get so good at the statistics of basketball. You could be like the money ball of basketball, like that movie Moneyball, yes. or you could, uh, or you could be a, a a writer about basketball, or you could, or you could make money, you know, betting on basketball. Even like there's now you could do micro bets. Will LeBron John, LeBron James, make the next free throw or whatever it's called, yeah. and you could micro bet. You don't have to bet on teams. You could bet on little situations. So, or you could write a newsletter about what's going on in the industry, a yeah. basketball industry you know, and on and on and on. You could call up 10 basketball players and says, what makes you great at basketball? And then you could publish a book with the text of the interviews. On and on and on. That's the spoken yeah. wheel approach a little bit. So yeah. yes, you can't be a professional basketball player, but if you want, and if you love basketball, yeah. you can do something professionally 
with basketball. And I've seen yeah. many examples of this. Yeah, yeah, perfect. That, so, and, oh, that's the second piece of advice. So give yeah. yourself permission to do anything you want. And third, uh, you know, I guess, I'm, I mean, I'm a big believer in all the advice I have in these books, but I guess very important, don't, you know, people, people think the higher the risk, the higher the reward. People think mm-hmm. entrepreneurs and investors are risk takers. That's mm-hmm. actually not true. Entrepreneurs mm-hmm. do not like taking risks. Entrepreneurs spend all of their time, and an investor is an entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurs spend all their time figuring out how to reduce the risk. I'd rather reduce the risk before I make an investment than make an investment with the highest kind of risk. So yeah. yes, the rewards are there, but you have to take care of the risk. And most people do not take into account the risks of the activities they do. You know, I'm so glad you spoke to that. I've just I, for 14 years of being an entrepreneur, I've always thought, oh, I'm so, I was so risky. I was so crazy to do this. And it's only recently, James, that I've really gotten, I'm not that big of a risk taker. And understanding that, that concept of that I'm not, it's, it's funny how what you think about yourself sometimes isn't actually even in the realm of what's true. So I'm really glad you said that. You know, you know, a lot of times there's so, I just read about this. I was, I was reading a book about chess actually. And this guy said, you know, sometimes it's good to be in what's called plus equals mode. So your position on the chessboard is not great. It's not winning but it's just, it's just slightly better than the other person. So it's a little bit easier for you to come up with ideas and make moves without blundering and, wow. and, and so on. So that's a good way to be with anything. Be in plus equal mode. Like, mm. uh, you know, of course, when you first meet your, uh, a, a spouse or a partner or whatever, everybody's very excited in the beginning. That's fine. But eventually you, redu- you go down to a good plus equal mode mm. where, okay, things are good, but... I don't have to spend every minute with this yeah. person. I can do other things in my life, but I always want to water this relationship to yeah. make sure it stays above water. Yes. And uh, yes. it's good to do that with, with, with everything. If you try to go for the quick win and kill and keep that level yeah. up, you'll never yeah. succeed at anything. Yeah, that, it's a beautiful advice to end on. Very powerful. I like it. Plus equal. Is that right? Is that the term? Plus equal mode. Yes. Well, you have kept me in plus equal mode for over 10 years now. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for telling me so many people. You really have, James. You really have. You just, you you know, whenever nobody believes in me or when people think I'm crazy, I I kind of, you know, remember those bracelets? Except instead of Jesus, it was what would James do? (laughs) Well, hopefully not always you say that because sometimes I do very, very upsetting things, but no, no but, but that's part of your magic is because you, you've done human things and yeah. you've been honest about them. And all of that has taught you for the next choice to be informed. Like, I don't think there's been any mistakes you've made. You haven't learned from, you've learned from all of them and you shared those lessons with all of us when we read your blog and your books. Yeah, no, thank you. And I, I, I super appreciate it, like you telling me that because, you know, it's just been a, it's been a tough journey overall. That I wish, again, someone had, I wish somebody had written the book, Skip the, I wish I didn't write the book, Skip the Line. I wish somebody <laughs> yeah. else had written it, you had read it 25 years ago because then I would have benefited instead of at the end of the 25 years writing yes. the book. 
I, I get That's, that. And I just hope that if you could just really taste the legion of people you've impacted, that that just transmute that pain a little bit because it's far and wide the impact you've had on many lives. Every entrepreneur I know has been impacted by you and your work. Every oh, really? single one. Thank you. Yes. I, 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 they don't usually tell me that. So I, I, uh, I, I don't know it. why, because I hear about, I've heard about, talked about for years and I'm like, James Heltzer once wrote me back in an email. And like, like that's my calling card. Like I'll say that to people five years ago and I'd meet an entrepreneur. Really? I can't believe he wrote you back. That's what well, they'll say. So everybody is you. talking about you in entrepreneur world, James, for sure. Oh, you taught you. us all. You taught no, us all. I'm, I'm happy about that. that. That's been my my goal. But the process, I became the type of person who could who could do that was was very pleasurable process. Well, you're awesome. I hope you'll let us have you back on one day. Thank you for coming on now and uh, just sharing. And I'm so excited to talk about Skip the Line to as many people as I did about Choose Yourself. So I will Thank advocate you. it left and right. All right, James. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me on the podcast. This has been the Wall Street Coach Podcast with K-Man Curtin. You can find out more about her and her team online at thewallstreetcoach.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.